And I'm Heidi McDonald. I am also co-editor of PW Comics World, as well as graphic novels review editor for Publishers Weekly and the editor-in-chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And check us out on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can check us out on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to more to come on iTunes and on uh, social media, uh, uh, Facebook in particular. We're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. So this week on more to come, FlameCon, digital developments, DNQ at 25, money and comics, and then the news breaks to follow. So let's get right to it. Uh, yes. Kate and I, we're at FlameCon. Flame, Flame on. on. Yeah, Flame on FlameCon. The, uh, <laughs> the New York City area's first LGBT Comic Con. And yes. my God, it was sparkly. And was I mean good. that literally. Yes, yes, yes. It was bedazzling. <laughs> it was at Grand Prospect Hall, which is far, far more fabulous than any other con uh, well, it was a truly fabulous place in every I mean, way. like, basically, it was a, like, theater-wedding venue made in the, the 1890s that still has, like, gold leaf on everything wow. and brass it's everywhere. Bizarre. And, and I mean, like, <laughs> wow. sparkly, giant sparkly chandeliers. Oh, um, you can't staff even describe wearing it. suits the and gloves. I mean, look, everyone had, oh God, had all really? the stab on, like, I can't believe tuxedos. I missed this. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, we have pictures, dear readers. Yes. Come to our Tumblr; you can see them. Yes, uh, it really was. Uh, it really was great. And um, yeah, and it wasn't even just the venue. Although yeah. I will say that they they did have a first year bump in that they hadn't taken into account how hot a sunroom would be mm. in mid June. Hot, too hot. The panel. This was the panel, panel room, room, and it was uh, so it too was. You roasted. It was more like a puddle of sweat room. Yeah, it was. It, was, it uh, kind of yes. really was. Uh, so uh, you know, well, it was to flaming in the room, and I don't <laughs> mean, and I don't mean sexuality either. Too hot to handle. Um, but but it, yeah, go on. Go all on. I can say is, is it was amazing first year con, and it uh, when I told Heidi. That this was a Kickstarter-funded con. Uh, there were jokes about another hour in the ball pit. Right. As right. as witness um, certain failed yeah, Kickstarter which cons. Which we can't even in remember the, past. the name of now. But uh, Dash you know. con. Dash oh, that, con. Oh, oh right. that awful. That yeah, awful yeah. event. But, but unlike Dash Not con, like that at all. Uh, they actually had figured out their funding correctly, and yeah. um, it was amazingly well run. I would it, not be really surprised well if run. someone involved in this has run a con somewhere before mm-hmm. because. It went off like clockwork. Yeah. Now, I will say this. New Yorkers who are up late at night have probably seen the commercial for, for it Prospect Grand Hall. It is ridiculous. You it's, should have heard the it jokes is at the place, about. It is at the place where you come down the stairs. Yes. Yes. Oh. Yes. yes. The grand stairways where all your dreams will come true. Oh, my yeah. God. We're going to make all your dreams come true. I can't, yeah, I missed, I can't true. believe I missed this. <laughs> It well, has we a balcony pictures, that goes like, around. I know, right? I want to go check out. That goes around the entire exhibition floor. Don't they also have a thing where you can come up through the floor or something like that? No. Yeah, I didn't see that, but okay. <laughs> but who knows? I think, I think that's this place in Queens. But anyway, go okay, on. Okay, well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically the the giant main hall of it was the con hall yes. uh, where they had uh, most of the smaller dealers in the artist yes. alley. And then the sun deck dash terrace. Yes. Uh, it was where they put the big publishers and, um, like, the T-shirt vendors and stuff. Yeah. 
Yes, which was a very nice venue also. It which really is li- was. Because it was opened out onto an outdoor terrace. Yeah. Where you could just go outside and sit on benches well, and sounds, hang out on a... There's yeah, an old there. mocha there. Jesus. I mean, it was big <laughs> enough. Know, it could have really uh, no, hosted it's mocha. Not, it's not big enough for no. mocha. I don't think it's big enough for mocha. You don't mocha. think it's big enough for mocha? It was pretty big. No, there was only about 100. There were only about 100 exhibitors. Um, I mean, there's about 400 exhibitors. Yeah, that's true. true. I mean, you could have fit more exhibitors, but yeah, mocha, no. Yeah, yeah, no, you know, it wouldn't work mocha. for mocha. It's not big enough. But, but, but it could fit a, a bigger con than it did. Yeah, you could make it bigger. Yeah, you can. I mean, maybe you could get. You know, I don't know. Maybe you could get 150. I mean, I, that's the thing, though. It's it's this is for a small show. Yeah, but it it's was perfect I mean, it was, for a small show. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was on, it's on the large side for a small show, if yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I've seen much it's smaller. It's the biggest cons little con. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, but it really went off well. Um, I will say that there was, in some ways, I mean, you could see this as a plus or a minus, um, because it was very much like just the LGBT comics community represented there that and just the New York one because I don't think the word had really gotten out to the wider world that I mean there was definitely some mix in experience levels and mix in quality levels they it certainly was not a jury show by right. any no. any right. means right. uh but on the other hand um like people seem to really love it, and to even be embracing the yes. the more beginner artists and the more very egalitarian. I mean, there was a wide range of quality, but there was plenty of quality. I mean, there were people yeah. that we see at many shows, like there Bill Roundy, some, mm-hmm. you know, um, who's and he he joked that you know, oh, usually I'm at a show and you know I I go around to a few people, but he said, but here, of course, I'm interested, <laughs> I'm interested in everybody. So <laughs> I've, I've, I've dropped a ton of money. Um, he was there selling his uh, his bar scroll mm-hmm. comics yeah. and uh, other things. A massive was there with yeah. an issue, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and, and there and the group. That's, what was the group that's, that organized it? Geeks Out? Geeks Out. Yeah. And then, um, not organizers, but sort of a, a sister organization, uh, Gay Geeks of New York, no. also right, right, right. participated and helped out. Um, and they really got a bunch of corporate sponsors, although the prize for what the hell is your booth doing here goes to the corporate sponsor of Con Ed. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> hey, listen, everybody needs power. They yeah. had comics, too. Yeah, they had... They had, they had <laughs> About. They had you know those those like advertisement yeah. comics you can pay DC for. Well, they had advertisement comics about Con Edison. Yeah, right. because <laughs> I, energy I, converse, conservation. I, I, I don't even know, but they. <laughs> but they I felt comics. I felt a little bad for the Con Ed guys because they were just sort of sitting there at Flame Con, and and you know their comics were just a little too straight for Flame. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, good way <laughs> to and, put it. That's and true. like nobody was being like, you know what? I need a Con Ed comic. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well. Um, so they were just kind of sitting there twiddling their thumbs, and I felt a little bad for them. <laughs> Um, but otherwise, like business seemed really brisk, including for um, some some uh, LGBT uh, fiction publishers who, even though they aren't comics, yeah. decided they were going to come out because it was their audience. And, you Makes know, they sense. bought big tables and they moved a lot of books. Makes sense. Everybody I talked to said they were selling a lot yeah, of stuff. I, I heard that from a couple of people who attended and, and it's just yeah. rave reviews. Yeah, um, in fact, I was talking to Anishi, and she was, I think she was talking about the t- the tables at one point, which they were a little concerned about the pricing, but she said, we sold an amazing amount mm-hmm. of stuff, so everybody was happy. Right. Yeah. yeah. So will there be a FlameCon too? They didn't say, but they I, I seemed be... interested. Hmm. Like, they didn't commit, well, yeah. I was sort of just asking around mm-hmm. casually, and they were like, well, we don't, we're not sure, but we'd really like to. And this seems to be a success, so you know, it's it's a tentative yes. You maybe. know, I will say this because uh, um, on the on 
the number or more, how many more exhibitors you could get up there. They did have that upstairs area, the gamer area. Yeah, they had G A Y M E R. Yeah. Uh, so they did have a gaming room that could have been could have held a lot more. Yeah, and tables. also um, I was looking at the floor map of Grand Prospect Hall, and they actually have several other event halls which did not get roped in. They oh. were smaller ones which uh-huh. could have been either panel rooms better panel rooms yeah, than the yeah. salon uh-huh. or or they could have expanded the floor into some of those smaller okay, so rooms if they needed to so it I, could expand still, it could maybe bigger, at least another 50 it still could be big enough for 60 Mocha, people but it, yeah but it not, could have not been for Mocha, but it could be a bigger show than you it could was. probably push it closer to 200 exhibitors yeah no yeah. problem and then because two things that were good about it being a party venue is that unlike so many cons which have terrible terrible overpriced food badly mm. organized uh, they let the Grand Prospect Hall people run the concession. And since that's what they do, like, they had, like, a full wet bar. Yeah. Uh, they had, you know, a, a variety of, like, nice sandwiches and stuff. Like, they were they were yeah. primed. And they had, like, the right number of a food, the right amount of food for the number of people. So important. Which food which, is so important. Which I feel like a lot of con organizers not being food people don't understand. And the few people get mobbed. and There's never enough food. It's a bad scene. That did not happen here because they were pros. Yeah. Uh, and also... Uh, because they had the venue for the whole day, they were able to clear out the floor for like two hours and then bring everyone back in and have like an enormous geek party oh, right. there, there was a big that party night. Oh, wow. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's just exactly the same but, place. But yeah. wow. I mean, they called it the the Fireball. Yes, yes the, fireball. the Fireball. And then they also, that was also a great fundraiser for the con right. because you could buy tickets just to the Fireball ah. party and just skip the con yeah. if you wanted to. Yep, yep. And it was... 20 bucks to get in. Yeah, it was not I mean, it's 25 to, if you wanted to get into the show and the party. If you wanted to get into the party, mm-hmm. yeah. it was 25 yeah. But, yeah. But, well, you know, one day you know, show, really great. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm really bummed. I missed it. It sounds like it was yeah. a great event. Well, uh, but, you I, know, I would point out, I mean, I was at another show that I was invited to that was out in Long Island, which is not quite the same. It was held in an aerospace museum, but sure was weird. But uh, this? About a Tell us con. about it. Uh, it's, what's Eternal Con? It's a local kind yeah. of mm-hmm. a uh, comics-y toy nerd liberty. I mean, you know, they had cast members from mm-hmm. Star Trek there and so on. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of the old school, but it had an artist alley and drew very well. There was a, probably uh, about four to 5,000 people there on both mm-hmm. days. More than the flame con, then. Yeah. So, it, it was actually in its third year Maybe. and, um, you know, it was a it was another fun show. But I, the reason I even bring it up is to point out that New York has absorbed uh, six comics, yeah. six events in three weekends. You know, we had, and it just was a pretty rough stretch there, personally speaking. But, you know, we had BEA followed yeah. by BookCon. Then we had Special, special edition, edition and Grand Comics Festival was the same day, Special Edition, although I wasn't able to go. Yeah. Um, and now this weekend we had FlameCon and EternalCon. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they all did well. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I think FlameCon drew a lot of people out who don't normally right. go to Comic Cons. I, I mean, they were definitely the geeks. They definitely were like real fans. Right. But I think it was a very special. It's a community. Yeah, members of the LGBT community, like myself, who was like a a special thing. It was was a little different. Was there cosplay? There was cosplay. There were there were cosplay, (laughs) and there was. How could there not be? (laughs) I I mean, it wasn't wasn't actually like to degree that you get at at New York Comic Con, but it was. It was there was definitely some uh, drag cosplay going on, and there were some. There were like photo ops because in that in the room off from the sun deck, they had a little stage set up. A little stage where if you wanted pictures taken of yourself, you could. 
Um, and then there are a lot of guys who just came randomly wearing a cape. <laughs> yes, yeah. Because Some days, this is... This in is, other words, just like another day in New York. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I really feel like people were just like, you know, I don't have a lot of opportunities to wear my cape. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm going to wear my cape. <laughs> like, that's what it felt like. I it was just sort of like... I guarantee you that is exactly now, the thing. Now's the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there was a very impressive power girl. In many respects, and not to mention, <laughs> not to mention, uh, an awful lot of drag cosplay, which yes. was, of course, awesome. Yes. Um, but yeah, it was very enthusiastic, and people were really, really psyched to be there. Like, I, I don't think I've seen a happier con crowd. Yeah, no, it, it was a good day, uh, a lot of fun. Everybody seemed to be having a great time. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. indications suggest we will see this again, yes, and yes. I will welcome it back. Mm-hmm. More to come. More, More to, to come. come. All right. All right. Oh, been, and by the yes. way, listeners, we have interviews from FlameCon at the end of this oh, podcast. Yes. So, yes. Stay stay yes. so stay tuned. Stay uh, tuned. Okay, we're going to segue from that to digital developments. There's been a lot of uh, the oh, last yeah. uh, couple of days, a couple of really interesting um, announcements on the digital side. Uh, let's jump off really quickly with um, Marvel and Comixology uh, have re-upped and uh, added a little something to their relationship. They're uh, adding uh, the Kindle mm-hmm. to their um, exclusive relationship. That's right. So, um, I, you know, I wrote this story a couple of days ago, so I've forgotten the details. But um, what's it? Um, you know, what's the, the graphic novels um, are on Comixology. Um, single issues, I think, now are going to be on the, available on the Kindle. Wait for, for- For Marvel. That's right. That's correct. Yes. yes. Yeah. Well, I think 12,000 single issue yes. Marvel comics now will be available <coughs> through the Kindle store. Right. Um, right. There's been so many announcements. It's a little confusing. Yeah, it's a little confusing. So, so, so bear with us. We're going to go So we're working yeah. on a story, actually, that covers all this. But, uh, you know, yeah. I guess the other big one was that Dark Horse finally yes. came to Comicology. But yeah. oh, they're bringing for manga. Uh, no, they're bringing their graphic novels and their collections. Well. Yes, yeah. they are. They yeah. are bringing a whole list of things to Comicsology, including uh, let's see. Well, I don't. Well, they're have bringing the- their entire digital catalog. That's eight hundred titles. Of- of collections, of collections and, and books novels. and original not graphic novels. Periodicals. They're selling their periodicals not periodical. that are continuing to sell those through the Dark Horse Digital Store. It's only, oh, yes, only exclusive through the to store. the Dark Horse yeah. Digital. So uh, you know, on which many people have questioned, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I mean. I, they've got a they've got a store. They've got to sell something there. I, they also sell dynamite comics there. Mm-hmm. I guess that they have a partnership going there. And uh, the but, one advantage to the Dark Horse store is that it's DRM free. Yeah, that yes. you download yes, it, point. it sits on your computer. You've got it forever. Good right. Point. Um, but you know, uh, you can you can opt in on Comicsology right. or digital free. I don't know whether Dark Horse is doing it or not, but I that's that's actually a good point that I didn't take note of. But in any event, um, well, what we ran, we had an article, uh, Calvin. You were saying by Rob Salkowitz uh, yes, about digital, and what did yeah. he say in there? Well, Rob did a piece for us uh, at, really at the beginning of the year. Look, five digital trends to look right. for, and I think one of the first things he said was, uh, I think the the, uh, the subhead was uh, Dark Horse needs dot 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 help, and it's like mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he he was not nice. In fact, uh, I edited the piece and I toned it down. <laughs> Um, but no, his basic point was that Dark Horse is leaving money on the table for its artists, uh, and they don't give, and they're not offering the best experience to their right. fans. That's right. Um, uh, I actually sat through a, um, a panel that uh, Joshua Hell Falkoff did. It was very interesting. He said he, you know, as a very experienced creator, 
an experienced self-publisher who really set up a highly optimized personal website and he put up his comics there and he pointed everything to mm-hmm. it. He still sold it on Comixology. Right. And he said – and he made a lot of money on his own site. His sales, he said, were completely blown away by what he sold right. through Comixology. Well, you know, listen. Everybody can put a buy button up on their site, but most yeah. people buy it when they go to Amazon. That's, I mean, that's, that's just right. a fact. Yeah, yes. and, you know, and Comixology is owned by Amazon. Yes. Well, and I think even – I mean, most people, I think, buy from Comixology on Comixology, not on Amazon. But I think – because Comixology works so well, because it's so consolidated, you have all your comics in one place. That's right. And if you switch to a different device, you can download them again. And you don't need, like, five different apps you need to update. So, I mean, I can see how, yeah. since it works so well, it's a great lazy man's yeah. comic I should, tool. I should also add that um, Comixology also updated its app to 3.7. Right, So it's yeah. actually kind I was of... just about to mention it's that. It's yeah. updated all of the all the content management. It's... it's, uh, it's they, Number one for me, the cover views are bigger. Yeah, yeah, it, <laughs> frankly, it works a lot better. Now. You can see things a lot better, and uh, it worked great the, to begin with. Yeah, and it was good to begin with. Uh, it's I think it's much yeah. easier. It's easier to organize your stuff. And now they have like smart lists where you can see yes, exactly yeah. what you're uh, reading. Absolutely. And um, you know, listen, Comixology is not perfect. No, they definitely have a lot of discoverability True. issues on there, yeah. and it isn't really organized in a way nope. that makes that. Um, Tagging. They need tagging. Well, they are. And you know who's the best at tagging is Amazon. So Amazon's discoverability algorithms are, you know, state of the art. And, uh, you know, Comixology probably needs to get on board with that. So at the very least, they could send them a tagging consultant. Um, (laughs) Um, But, yeah, but, I mean, this is a really interesting development. I mean, Dark Horse is going through uh, an interesting period of growth right now. We announced uh, earlier the the, the big... um, uh, promotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, uh, Mike Richardson told me there are more big announcements to come. He wasn't kidding. This is clearly one. I think there's some other things coming out of Dark Horse Entertainment um, a little bit later this summer as well. I think he's got some films in the in the pipeline coming through. So uh, I think this is another step, and it's going to be very interesting. So they've got the Comicsology monkey off their back, right? Um, uh, so we'll see where 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 it goes. And I should also mention, I mean, Dark Horse is actually a major publisher of manga. Yeah. And I think um, this whole thing includes a, over a hundred manga titles. Hundred seventy. Well. Hundred seventy. Yeah, there you go. So um, yeah. Uh, Comicsology is becoming the place to go for manga That's as right. well now that Viz is on there. Yeah. Um, and Dark Horse. I, I will. I'd like a very small digression to discoverability. There's cannot emphasize enough how discoverability is key. I belonged to Oyster for like three months. I quit because their like recommendation and finding system was so bad <laughs> that when I was looking uh, at like a like G-rated Regency romance, it was suggesting me porn. Wow. Oh, okay. And I was like, I was like, and then I couldn't find anything I was looking for. Like I would be reading a book by an author and then I'd type it into the search and that very book would not pick up, would not show up in the search. So like, and I, so I just left it. I was just like, Mm-mm. I'm leaving this. Yeah. And so, I mean, I can see how that would be exactly the same for any comics app that had that kind of problem. Now, have you tried Scribd? Um, I currently am disgusted with the various apps. Um, so I'm currently <laughs> using the New York Public Library's free ebook thing, uh, where at least if it's hard to find things, I'm not paying any money for it. Right. But uh, the next time that I'm I'm feeling like trying out a digital comics and and book source, I will try Scribd. And well, I will mention one other thing. Um, 
there's a app called Hoopla, um, and all you need is a public library card, mm. and it has free apps. They launched a line of comics uh, about a month ago. There's another announcement coming up that I can't talk about, but um, uh, I'll suggest that to our listeners. You, that, you, although by the well, time this comes out, you'll have talked about it. Uh, that's true. I'd rather not say it, though. Well, anyway, um, <laughs> you know, currently I'm using Overdrive, which is what I uh, use through yes, the New York Overdrive, Public Library. Yes. And uh, Overdrive has a bunch of, of manga and some graphic novels yeah. on it, too. Uh, it's not super discoverable, which is kind of irritating. And they don't have very much. I mean, they no don't... knock on Overdrive um, because it, they are a powerful force in the yeah. library industry. Um, but I will say this. Um, the Hoopla app is really very easy to use. Oh, good. And uh, it, does it categorize as something other than just graphic novels? Because It doesn't categorize very well, but they've got a lot of good stuff up on there. Okay, because yeah. uh, Overdrive, I have to say, like just makes just lumps it all together in one giant pile, and you're kind of... There's a lot of criticisms of how Overdrive that it's, does. It's, it's, just, it's just a little hard to discover yeah. what you're looking for. Is yeah. what right, I'm saying. exactly. But hey, it's free. Yeah. But you know, there are a lot of choices out there, right? Yes. There are. And, and there are more coming. Beautiful time, and, and, yeah, comics. More coming, and um, you know, you really need to, uh, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think being on as many platforms as possible is the right way That's until it all shakes I, I, out. Yeah. Every publisher, you know, you see publishers that are really aggressive about being on all platforms. And, you and know, unless you're Marvel be. or DC, yeah, <laughs> yeah, they better be. But, uh, you know, it's really interesting to see it as it rolls out. Yeah, I mean, I remember when things started getting big a couple of years ago, like people were all, all these different companies were saying, oh, we have exclusive with this company and exclusive with that. But really, this this digital comics game exclusives are not the way to go. No, you don't no, want an exclusive. You no. want it to be shared You're out just everywhere. You're yourself off from really are. potential readers. Right. Yeah. Right. And you, take the money that's yeah. on the table, guys. And yeah. I mean, you know, people are I mean, listen uh, to to Kate's story. I mean, that's just terrible. So, it was it know. was like I mean, I I <laughs> admit that I wrote them like the most like vehemently what the hell are you doing because they had a little thing saying do you like our recommendations to which my answer was no hell no no i don't as a matter of fact um and it wasn't just like one x-rated title they had like three with like these like really hideous bad like homemade ebook covers and i was just like what are you even doing this looks embarrassingly bad terrible anyway Okay. Well, moving on, yes. there's been a resurgence of talk about uh, the economics of comics from a yes. creator's standpoint. Well, and this before is kind you of... jump to that, D&Q? Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, but we're, we're going to get to that. Let's 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 get to D and Q and we'll we're gonna we'll segue into money. So uh, D and Q drawn in quarterly is now twenty five years old. Absolutely, we we published a story this week. Uh, I worked on a piece along with uh, Brian Heater, uh, and it's uh, called uh, D and Q marks twenty five years of great literary comics. I mean, we sort of previewed this piece in our TCAF reporting because I mean, drawn in quarterly obviously was kind of the featured publisher right. at TCAF. But you, you can't talk too much about uh, drawn in quarterly and what the, what it has meant to this category. Um, part of what the uh, the piece talked about really was the the publishing of uh, DNQ twenty five years of contemporary cartoons, comics, and graphic novels. The massive <laughs> anthology, or as uh, as uh, uh, Brian put it, my co writer in the piece, you know, um, uh, a um, what did he call it here? Um, and this anniversary tome celebrating. Um, uh, their publishing history and the rich and varied uh, lineup right. of artists. It really looked back across the, tw- the 25 years, and it was uh, out of print 
work um, uh, that documented the whole years, and Anne looked at a new generation of D&Q stars that are coming up today, like the you know Kate Beaton and Jillian yeah. Tamaki. Right. Um, uh, we also the piece also talks about as we talked about at TKF uh, the transition to new leadership. Uh, Chris Oliveros is stepping down. Uh, his own graphic novel, the uh, the Envelope Manufacturer, will be, he's going to self publish uh, in January 2016. Uh, he, Chris apparently doesn't want any uh, any any whiff of favoritism, but DNQ will distribute the book. And and Heidi and I were were fortunate enough to to be at the the, the DNQ party where he kind of said farewell, I think, to the, to his artists and to the symbol group, and it was really just an absolutely uh, moving place to be. Right, but they're certainly not just looking back. They're looking forward. And and just since then, they've been announcing a slew yeah. of new books, which it's actually been kind of hard to keep up with them. Yeah, you since can't wonder where all the money's coming they've from. They've just been, um, you know, well, they're very well funded. Okay? I can, in, that I, in fact, I can tell you why where the money's yeah. coming from, but I'll tell you some of the sales of some of the, the, the titles. Oh, yes, they've but, actually sold a lot. Let's see, yeah, they have but, a new book by Laura Park coming out. A I'm really interested out, in that. Do huh. Not Disturb My Waking Dream collection. Let's see. Uh, they're going to have a collection, Carpet Sweeper Tales, a collection of short stories and photo comics by Julie Doucet. Oh, she's uh, back in comics. Ha- ha- well, she does her photo comics. She does not draw anymore. She doesn't draw anymore. She does oh. not draw anymore, but she is doing uh, her collages. So they're oh, going to be collecting cool. those. Uh, let's see. What else? There's just uh, a new book by, um, let's see, Uncomfortably Happy by Korean cartoonist Yeon Sikong. Let's see. What else do we have here? It's uh, Honestly, oh, Moon Cop by Tom Gold. Yeah. Uh, I don't even know what that is, yeah, uh, literally. And let's see, and uh, art comic, a new book by Matthew Thurber. And I think that they're also, uh, well, you know, actually there was a whole bunch of little, uh, like, reacquirings or whatever. I know Fanta, you know, Fantagraphics have picked up the rights to some graphic novels that, uh, like mm. Power Masters that, and also they are putting out the new Kramer Zergat. But Drawn and Quarterly has acquired the rights to a bunch of backlist titles uh, Span a Rage by Vanessa Davis that was originally put up by Buena Ventura yeah, right. which went well, out of business nice yeah, so that's uh, Was She Pretty up. by Leanne Shapton um, and then How to Understand Israel in 60 Days or Less yeah. by Sarah Glidden originally out from Vertigo yeah. and we don't even know what this means, but they've also uh, drawn a quarterly. We'll be putting out a new edition of Blankets by Craig That's Thompson. That's pretty Well, I mean, amazing. it's pretty clear what they're doing. They're putting out Blankets. But I, I, I yes, can't but imagine Kate, That top was shelf the top shelf giving, gem in the ground. It, in fact, I mean, many people see that that book changed Absolutely. the whole uh, relationship of graphic novels to bookstores. Yes. It because it sold absolute, so incredibly well. I I am going to admit right now that I am one of those comic book heathens who just does not get blankets. Well, I have issues with blankets yeah. as well, but but that, yeah, but that doesn't mean it isn't yeah, a it seminal was, book. But it doesn't no, mean I'm it wasn't it was a seminal, seminal, seminal book. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying I don't I don't always get why it was a seminal book, but I understand yeah, that it I was. Think I, know. I, I think I know why it was too. I mean, there's things about it that um, uh, I I don't like, and there's things about it that I think are brilliant. And I okay, think, do you not yeah. like John Green? <laughs> I, I have no feelings about John Green. However, at FlameCon, there was an anti-John Green zine. <laughs> the I Hate John Green zine, right. which well, had all, all of his most embarrassingly right. clueless well, books. Well, I think, I think like, it falls squarely in the John Green category. Yeah, well, I, I'm very interested, though, to, to see, to know more about Yeah, we just found this out. So you're actually catching us on, on this blankets. podcast, yeah. not even knowing what the hell we're talking yeah, about. because we're a so. bit ag- agog at that, because that's really... Um, a book that uh, 
I can't imagine a publisher well, giving up the license. Well, I'd also, like, uh, Top Shelf definitely had a whole bunch of his other books, like Goodbye, Chucky Rice yeah. and yeah. Um, Carnate Voyage. So, you know, I don't yeah. know. Questions. Questions so are going on. So, basically, yeah. it's not so much that we don't know what we're talking about, is that no one outside of these publishers and the people intimately involved with the book are currently aware of exactly what's going on behind the scenes but we'll, here. We'll yeah. get back to you with some more yeah. reporting yes. on that. We'll have yeah. more of that, sure. more to come on um, that. More but anyway, um, um, but just to Kate's point about how they're funding this, I mean, one of the things we talk about in our story is the development of, of Drawing yeah. Quarterly. Uh, started in, in, um, <clears throat> in 1990. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris uh, Olivelle was 23 years old, borrowed $2,000 from his father, got his, his buddies in the comics, Canadian comics community to launch a quarterly magazine um, featuring personal literary comic stories. Um, he originally just planned to do the anthology, but he noticed people were doing longer works. And as so they started focusing more on book format comics. Key, uh, the key hiring was Peggy Burns in 2003. She hired, mm-hmm. used to, uh, uh, formerly a publicist at DC Comics. Uh, she moved to Montreal uh, to become the publicist, but she was instrumental in moving D&Q distribution to Ferris Strauss Giroux, yeah, an iconic literary publisher who understood the books. And uh, as Peggy told me, <clears throat> we went to FSG and we told them, look, we're not, you know, we're not trying to be uppity or anything, but we believe our cartoonists are the equivalent of your authors. And she said, they got it. They understood. And they understood what we had to offer. And that connection was important. Right. Very the important. next books that they published after, shortly after that were uh, Linda Berry's What It Is, uh, Shortcomings, um, Pyongyang uh, by Guy DeLille. Each one of those books sold more than 50,000 copies each. Each. Uh, um, as, as she told me at the time, things got easier around here after that. Right. Uh, the next, of course, the next big moment was her husband, uh, Tom Devlin, I, actually an independent comics publisher himself. Um, he used to run High Water Books. Uh, it suggested, as, he, as he told me, he's in charge of crazy acquisition ideas at, at D&Q. He went to uh, Chris and, and suggested that they acquire this basically unknown outside of Europe, uh, Swedish comic strip called Moomin. Uh, and to his surprise, Chris said, sure. Well, I mean, it's not. I mean, the books were not unknown, but the comic strips were. The comic strips, I, yeah. I, look, I'm I, sure I, many people would have well, known know it, the and books, I didn't. But the uh, comics but the, it had never, they had It had never been published outside of Sweden. The, not the comics. The comics. The, the books have, the comics yeah. haven't. All right. Uh, but they've since published 10 of the Moomin collections. Across the entire uh, series, they've sold more than 260,000 copies. Which is a good number. Uh, it's yeah. a nice round number. So, um, so they got a little bank. Uh, they're doing much better. They opened up their own bookstore in 2008, a uh, library drawn in quarterly, a thousand square foot uh, store selling French Not and small. English, French and English titles. Uh, and, you know, um, the legend of D&Q uh, was launched. Uh, right I, now they publish 20 to 30 books a year. I, I wonder uh, how much the French market in Canada contributes to to their uh, bottom line. Well, they don't publish books in French. No. Oh, they don't. No, they just sell them English in the bookstore. Book. Yeah. Yes, yes, Okay. Because yes. I was going to wonder, because I was like, wait, this might be an aspect of their business which I, as an English speaker, was unaware well, of. Well, apparently, pro- there's a lot of interesting issues about books in French yeah. in Canada. And also books in Spanish in South America. Because apparently, you have, like, French publishers distribute to Fr- 
French speaking in Canada and they don't always come through and Spanish speaker like Spanish publishers mm. are supposed to send the books to South America and they don't always get all the books there either so yeah. there's a lot of things about these languages and North American rights that is confusing yeah I, I assume DNQ does what you know most American English language but that they license their titles out to be translated and into yeah. French publishers. Well, okay, that makes sense. And some of them are originally published in French. Like a, well, they license French titles That's, back. Right, right, yeah, right, right. In English. Yes, right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and of course, uh, we have a big year for DNQ coming up. I mean, uh, Jillian Tamaki's um, uh, Super Mutant Magic Academy is out now. Uh, Adrian Tomini's uh, Killing and Dying is coming out in the fall. Which I can't wait to see that. So, uh, you know, um, DNQ, um, uh, uh, really key publisher in this renaissance of comics publishing that we were living in now and so congratulations to them on 25 years yeah. of great comics and all these great books that are coming out get yeah. to see it sounds like 2016 is going to be just as yes, good indeed. all right okay and on that note we'll segue to money money and comics something so, we've already been talking about but which we will go into more depth so can we throw it back to our own money honey um Where's that? Heidi, who's that, that would be you. <laughs> That's who's that? Well, that would be you. There were uh, um, well, the beat uh, ran a couple of pieces about um, comics, money, and careers. Yes. Well, actually, this all kicked off when uh, David Harper at his new website uh, sketched. Uh, he ran a survey of cartoonists, and um, they were. He asked them how much money they made, where they worked, and everything. And the the numbers weren't all that great. Uh, you know, I mean, it was <laughs> they only were pretty startling. And, it was only 160 <laughs> people uh, who participated in the survey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm looking for the exact number here. Yeah, it's 186 people, so it's a small sample. Yeah, but the startling number that 48 percent made twelve thousand dollars or less in the course of a year. But do, do we know anything about the demographics of the comic per- people doing this? I mean, do we know if these well, are full-time people or... Well, it's well, a they small did, number. They are and, kind of... And, you, you know, yeah. you can't do cross-tabs on it, but, I mean, he did mention that the people who said, you know, like 50% of the people in the survey said they'd never take a day off. So, I mean, if you look at the 48% <laughs> and the 50%, there's probably a Venn diagram there of it, you know? And so... Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I went through the pieces and some of the some of the later uh, things you ran. Also, in, in, some of the people had some caveats right. about it, <clears throat> um, uh, particularly talking about you know whether you're you're an indie publisher. I mean, obviously, the people that work for for uh, for periodical publishers and obviously for the big superhero publishers, you know, were making more of a living wage than anybody else, and. <clears throat> Uh, you know the introduction of trade paperbacks is skewing things as well. I mean, I mean, my take on this, uh, for what it's worth, uh, is that you know if you go into the creative industries, you're not going in it to make money, and believe me, nobody's going to feel sorry for you if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only reason you do this is because of you believe in it, and you now, love it. That is, yes, and you love it. And it's a vote of confidence in your own talent. Now, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean we all want everybody to no. starve. And However, it doesn't mean that publishers shouldn't pay fairly for what the money they make. They absolutely. should obviously be fair. But, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of comics out there which are wonderful, which, unfortunately, for various 
market reasons are never going to make the money yeah, they might Yeah, but you know what? To. If you looked at this, it just showed that what was the most recent page rate? A 28% said it was between 50 and $100. 29% said it was between 100 and $200. So that's a good 60% there, just rounding up a tiny bit. That actually gets a page rate. Well, no, there's other rates on here. Yeah. But that's between 50 and $200. Now, I can tell you that that rate, top rate of 200 uh, is remained very stagnant for the last decade, at least. Yeah. In fact, I'd say it's probably remained stagnant for the last 20 years. And so if you talk to people, the average rates in comics, to your point, Kate, have not gone up a lot. You know, like the top rate for a writer when I was editing, which was 15 years ago, was $100. And guess what? It's still $100. I mean, there are selected people get more. According to this, uh, fourteen point five percent make basically comics doesn't have a one percent. It has a eight <laughs> percent. Oh, okay, which okay. is actually pretty good, yeah, okay. you know. But uh, you know, yeah. But I, I kind of even wonder about all the people who are not the way they're putting out comics. They're not even getting a page rate because they're creator owned or whatever, and they're just hoping. Well, they that may they'll, be doing better in some that, ways. Well, mm-hmm. I'm just wondering that they're the number of people who are not getting a strict page rate, but are hoping for the back end to to yeah. get them the money. Well. I, I, you know, well, well, one of the things better. that well, one of the things that Heidi said, and I think is is that let's mm-hmm. well, and I just said also is that look, you know, this the creative businesses don't pay well, no, right. and they don't pretend to, they don't pretend no. otherwise. Um, that said, I also think that the new the change. First of all, we're sitting here talking about how incredibly popular the market for this stuff. Has yeah. never been better. But well, I wouldn't say that either because well, that I mean the, the size the 50, of the audience. How about that? Well, I wouldn't say that either because mm-hmm. in the fifties and forties and fifties, well, you had comics true. selling millions yeah, well, of copies yeah. in, in our had, lifetime. In our lifetime, yes. In our lifetime, I'll put it that because enough, clearly enough. enough, in you get past the fifties, then the, the the audience, the paying audience, was enormous. That's right. So right. Th- that's very true. But in our lifetime, in the the, the comics world that we live in. Uh, this is a new day. Uh, yes, it is. And, you know, let me just follow up. On, you know, in a follow-up post, Kieran Gillen, the writer of The Wicked mm-hmm. of the Divine, yeah. uh, ran some numbers on his own image book and uh, pointed out that uh, if you were selling uh, that, you know, if you're, if you're selling 12,000 copies of image book, you're making pretty good money. If you're selling anything near 20,000, you probably have to buy drinks for your friends. Uh, so I, 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 you know, and then I went and I looked at how many books were selling over 10,000 copies and there was quite a few. There's mm-hmm. about, you know, 27. And these are periodical titles. copies. Yes, periodicals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, and then he said, this doesn't even take into account trade sales yeah. Yeah. where you really can make a minute. Yeah. So, yeah. um, you know, there's, yeah, there's definitely the model created by image all those years ago is bearing the fruit that it was always hoped for, that it's giving creators a bigger cut of a market that's eager for their work right and you know I, you know, I have to say i mean look i'm a i'm a reporter and an editor that's how i've made my living uh in new york for for years and years and years but I, that isn't what i came here for that isn't how i what i went to school for i went to school to be an artist uh and i didn't want to and i i have an mfa i didn't and i uh which basically means you know you, you come out and teach which i did not want to do i wanted to come to new york I had expectations of zero earning dollars yeah. uh, from my fine arts training. Um, you know, I trained to be a printmaker, and I did drawings. And, you know, the, you know a comics artist, even today, looks pretty good in comparison yeah, with coming out. But, 
okay. uh, to be a gallery yeah, artist. But let me re- let me reiterate what I just said here. I mean, what we're talking about, even on the level of writing and editing, you know, is that you know there is a total glut of creators right now. Okay? Yeah. Because what we're really talking about isn't the fact that you know most people are never going to make it, but it's that when you do get to a certain level of professionalism, the rates are so are still low. That's true. Okay. Yeah. And I mean at. Uh, you know, I'm not going to name like the survey that ran on the sketch site. They did do a publisher satisfaction uh, survey at and DC and Vertigo ranked the highest, and mm. uh, Boom and Dynamite were the lowest. And you know, guess what? They paid the lowest rates. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not mm-hmm. that people at Boom and Dynamite aren't awesome because they are. But, uh, you know, I it's think... It's about the money. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like they said on Spinal Tap. Uh, you know, money's a lot like a shit sandwich. The more more uh, bread you have, the less shit you have to eat. So, um, you know, that's pretty much a, a uh, universal uh, constant there. But I, anyway, I mean, I think, uh, to me, that's what's valuable about this. And, you know, this this stretches out into writing and, and everything. Yeah, It's Absolutely. like, you know, I mean, on the internet, it's like so few people... Yeah. I mean, it's not even that... There are, yes, guess what? A lot of people want to write and aren't going to be able to make a living at it. But people who are really great writers barely make a living at it, who would have made a lot of money in the past because they were getting these huge rates for articles, and now nobody pays big rates anymore. Yeah, that's true. Although I wonder how many uh, people are really getting big rates. I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I, I'm, I'm not so sure that our view of the past is really accurate, but there you go. Well, I'm Calvin, we cut our rates here publishers That's weekly. True. That's true. But, <laughs> we yeah. sat in this very yeah, room this and had true. a big meeting where we talked about that, you know? And uh, I mean, I could tell you for a fact, it's like people I know who work for magazines, you know, I mean, I, I used to get like, well, let's talk illustrators. Let's not talk yeah. writers because there's always no, going to be true. a lot of writers. But illustrators used to make a fortune. Yeah. You know, my no, illustrator friends made six figures just working for golf magazines. Yeah. Okay, there are no golf magazines anymore. <laughs> you know. Yeah, well, that's for sure. Well, we're in a new, we're we're living in a new era. There are certainly a number of tools and tasks out there that have just started that people seem to just starting to be able to exploit. Um, crowd that we haven't seen the complete development of crowdfunding and what it might mean. Um, but yeah. We well, live in a – it's a complicated time where, where there's a there seems to be a growing and new demand for comics, uh, even as we find it harder and harder right. to well, figure out how to make I, a living you know, doing I it. Think people, I think people need to – you know, I mean, in the olden days, if you looked at the top-earning performers, the top-earning people in entertainment, Forbes would put out a list of the top 100, and inevitably in the top 10 would be cartoonists yeah, like Jim sure. Garfield or Charles sure. Schultz or Matt Groening. Yeah, uh, syndicated guys. Yeah, syndicated cartoonists, and although the case of Graining, obviously The Simpsons, but mm. yeah, Jim Davis and Charles Schultz were sure. always in oh, there. Sure. Uh, you know, Kathy Geisway yeah. was yeah. in the list. Um, you well, know, back in the day, that was yes, you that made was, a fortune. That's how you made it. If you, you know, had you a got, syndicated yeah. comic strip, you made a fortune. Okay, and obviously that does not exist no. as much anymore. However, I will say I don't know if they're making a fortune, but you know, we talked about this. I, I think we had it down for a briefs list. But, you know, in the YA area, I think we're developing a lot of authors who are selling a lot of books. You know, Raina Telgemeier, we were talking about. She, she, she was has, on the, well, we'll get to this in a minute. But, mm-hmm. well, well, I mean, you know, I'll throw it in here. It's like she's been on the best seller list. list for three years. Yeah. yeah. And she sold 1.4 million copies of Smile are in print. So, yeah. you know, she probably so made. She should buy drinks. <laughs> so she should buy drinks. I mean, she now some of those are probably at book fairs. 
But yeah, but she so. probably got a decent rate from that. If I know her I'll agent, bet she did. Judy Hanson. <laughs> yes, I'm sure she, she got her share. Um, yeah, so there's other there's other venues that she's that, come a long way from Babysitters Club adaptations. Exactly, and I think that that you know I think this this survey that David Harper did is very valuable, just yeah. for pointing out where we're at. But I don't think it probably touched on, uh, or if it did, I, I I mean I think that 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 you have to develop other other means you know you got just yeah and and one more thing a person put in a comment on the beat this is very smart it's like you know the reason why jim garfield jim davis made so much money from garfield was it necessarily just the comic strip is the, all the lunch boxes oh, and sure, the toys and the night huge. lights and all that stuff yeah and you know web cartoonists very smart about merchandising their work and they make more money off of the merch than they do the comics. And you know what? Everyone should really look into that model. And well, because I actually, I think we're going to do another period of web to print. Absolutely. I mean, we had an earlier one, probably about 10 years ago, where it seemed that yeah. people were setting up imprints just to do Terran web comics. But once again, we seem to be heading right back down that road. More and more comics are, are showing up in print. That started as web comics. Well, mm-hmm. I, as someone who has loved my share of web comics, I get it. I mean, websites go away. Yeah. They vanish. Yeah, they do. And um, it's, you can't just throw a webcomic in your bag. Um, so you want either like a downloadable version that you can keep on your hard drive or on your device, mm. or you want a book form if you fall in love with it, you know, so that you've got something where you've got it all in one place. Yeah. You don't need to worry about the site breaking down. And sort of for sentimentality reasons, like you want to own it. And, you know, as more and more webcomics are gaining a large chunk of market share, like, and people fall in love with them and really connect with them, like, they want that piece of it to keep for themselves. Well, we just talked about DNQ. I mean, Hark of Vagrant, webcomic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Sure. Jillian Tamaki's uh, Super Magic, Ma- Super Mutant Magic Academy, webcomic. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wrote a story this week about Z2, Corin Shadmi's mm. uh, The Abaddon, yeah. webcomic to print. So and, and more. And there are a lot more out there coming in. Absolutely. Too. So we're sort of in a uh, second wave of that. But, you know, that's right. But it's, it's not going to be easy. Uh, let's hope that there are new paths and new strategies developing yeah. to make these comics out of some money. So, um, Yes. So, where are we now? Money, oh. comics, and uh, oh, on and that, we'll move to the news wh- briefs. No, before we get to oh, the news briefs, me. there's something else in the subject of money, and that is One Piece has won a Guinness oh. Book of That's World right. Records right. record for most comics in print of the same comic series by the same person. Nice. Um, Was there a number given for that? Um, yeah, Guinness Book of World Records is saying... Actually, there's no number. There's no number given. Well, you're going to have to buy the book to find the number. And now, into briefs. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy, those favorite morally ambiguous supervillains of DC Comics and animation fame, sort of a a gruesome twosome of slapstick supervillainy, DC has finally uh, openly admitted to what they have hinted at for the last 20 years, which is to say... Um, a fan asked them on Twitter whether uh, they were, in fact, a couple sometimes. Yeah. Because uh, in between her tempestuous relationship with the Joker, every once in a while, Harley Quinn will break up with him and run <laughs> off with Poison Ivy. So the question is, are she and Hi- Poison Ivy, uh, you know, dating, as is occasionally implied? And the answer is yes, but non-monogamously. 
There you because go. There isn't you go. Harley Quinn still in love with the Joker? Well, yes, she goes but it's, both ways. She, she she is in love with the Joker, but their relationship is tempestuous, and she frequently leaves him. And so apparently, when she leaves him, she runs off with Poison Ivy. I hear he's a sicko. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I guess even someone as crazy as Harley Quinn can only stand the Joker for <laughs> yeah, so long. For so long, I said. <laughs> yes. Um, meanwhile, uh, we were talking about other funding models and Kickstarter. Well, uh, there have been any number of cases, sadly, of Kickstarter fail, in which uh, money is raised and money just sort of vanishes and products are not coming out. And previously, this had kind of been run out written off as one of the risks of the model that you just knew you were taking this risk going in but um the federal trade commission has released its uh, press release on its first successful action against a failed kickstarter it is against the doom that came to atlantic city a crowdfunded board game that made uh one hundred and twenty two thousand dollars and then just failed to materialize. Yeah, the guy had all these updates about, you know, yeah. like, oh, I'm very popular. Then he finally even just said, well, yeah. sorry, guys, I, I never got to make the game. And yeah. so, you know what? You can't just be that yeah. flagrant. And, yeah, and this yeah. is an interesting ruling because I, I think the FTC some, has trying to make... someone else who yep. they people, really, yeah. but I can't say Oh, anything, interesting. Well, no, the FTC has tried to make it clear very... that... This investigation is not about crowdfunding. That it's about false promises, and it's yeah. also about making a quote and serious effort to deliver on them. Yeah. And this guy did not do that. And he, in, in addition to uh, issuing repeated false updates, yes. I mean, this guy took this money. Where, at first, of he was initially out to get thirty-five thousand dollars, and yeah. he ended up with one hundred twenty-two thousand. Um, and he basically moved across country, uh, paid off his bills, um, and just dithered. Uh, and then said, oh, sorry, guys, you know, didn't get made. Yeah. Uh, this is actually, I in many ways, and, and I, unfortunately, I, I read a really good analysis that I can't remember where I read it from. Mm-hmm. That said that actually this is the kind of a ruling that, it, that they believe that the crowdfunding community has been waiting for. Yeah. Because it really gives the FTC parameters by which to go after people who clearly are not serious about ever yeah. delivering a product. Yeah, there's a difference between attempting to make a product and failing and to failing. make the product yes. and just never intending to deliver the product in the yeah. first place and making off with the cash. Yes. Uh, the, uh, in particular, a lack of a serious effort to deliver. Yeah, right. yeah. if you're not really actively I'm- trying to make the game... And, and there are there are a couple of people who are getting yeah. a real reputation. Now we talked about the yes. Sullivan it, Sluggers one. Yes. That's another one that was notorious, and that's been going on for years. I'm just looking, and you know, a lot of people are mad at Dean Tripp because he was supposed to do something terrible that never came out. Yeah, and yeah. There's there's you know there's been a few that have so, not very prominent ones that just haven't come out. I Unlike think, Flame Con, so well done, money well spent. Yes, yeah. I think this I think it's just this will will put some people on notice. Uh, that somebody is watching. Yes. That you, yeah, you can't just Kickstarter anything with no plan to actually deliver. deliver. No, yeah. No. And that's, that's fraud, people. And guess uh, what? The FTC is watching you. Just like the FBI got on FIFA, the FTC is on that's you. That's right. That's right. You fraudulent Kickstarters. You know what? The government's good for something after yeah, all. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, think, I do think that some people are um, carelessly engaging in fraud without even necessarily going into it intending it um because i was when i was talking uh to ingozi kazu of uh check 
please. She was telling me that she actually had attended a how-to Kickstarter class. Uh, and that, you know, the, on how to do the math of it and how to figure out how much it will cost to deliver that product. And I think some people, maybe especially in the early days of Kickstarter, but still a few vaporware people now, are sort of have this vague idea that in their head that they will deliver, but they never really do the math. They don't really figure out what it would take to deliver. And then when it gets a little too hard, then they just flake. And, you know, maybe this will put them on notice and make people take their uh-huh. Kickstartering yeah. a little more seriously. And there's really no excuse now. There's a vast amount of resources yeah. available to help you be successful. Yeah. So you, there's no excuse for not planning when you go into a Kickstarter. Yeah. Now, I'm going to transition over to our interviews from FlameCon. Hi, I'm at FlameCon 2015, and I'm here with James Tiny. Did, hey. did I pronounce your name wrong? I'm well, why don't you introduce go. yourself? All right, my name is James Tynan IV. Uh, I'm a writer of books for DC Comics and Boom Studios. People probably know me best for my work on the Batman line, uh, particularly Batman Eternal, the weekly Batman series that was running over the past year. Um, I have a number of series out from Boom Studios, including The Medic, which is you know about a image posted online that ends the world in three days. Uh, I've it involves a sloth, doesn't it? Does. It does. It absolutely does. That is the image. It's a sloth giving a thumbs up. The good time sloth. Uh, the harbinger of the apocalypse. Um, That's a hell of a harbinger of the apocalypse. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and yeah, and I, I, uh, the other series that I'm best known for over at uh, Boom is The Woods, which is an ongoing series about a high school transported in the middle of an alien forest and all of the kids trying to figure out how to survive and how to get home. Uh, I also do a series called UFOlogy at Boom, uh, which is a mini-series running right now uh, about, uh, you know, it's kind of a teen X-Files in the upper Midwest uh, kind of feel. So, uh, you know, DC is my home of all of my superhero work and uh, Boom is my home of all my creator-owned work and I'm really happy that I get to live in both families. So. So how did you find out about FlameCon? Um, I know some of the organizers, and I'd been hearing about it through the Kickstarter, and I reached out saying I wanted to be involved. I, I'm a local, uh, I am at least for the moment a local uh, a person living in the New York area, although I am moving in a few weeks and betraying the hearts of all New Yorkers. Oh, well, uh, it happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, it like I just I really wanted to come out and support something like this, uh, and it's it has just been absolutely incredible. The energy in the room all day, uh, how much people want to come out and support books uh, that are about and by queer creators. Like it's uh, you know it, it's really refreshing. It's very energizing, uh, and I'm really really happy I was able to come. And do you have uh, anything about your uh, FlameCon experience that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, I mean, I, I had the honor of being on a horror panel with uh, Mark Patton from Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 and uh, uh, Cecil Baldwin from Welcome to Night Vale, and I uh, got to chat with Cecil for a bit after, who's the nicest guy in the world. and. You know, it was, I was very intimidated going in on that panel, and it was just an amazing experience. So, yeah. Great, thank you. Hi, this is Kate Fitzsimmons from Publishers Weekly Comic World here at FlameCon 2015, the very first FlameCon. And I'm here talking to Owen White of the webcomic Tripping Over You. 
Uh, can you tell me a little about your comic? Um, it is basically a webcomic. We update twice a week. Me and my wife make it together. Um, it's It starts with um, these two boys. They have a relationship. They start um, in high school. It follows them throughout college. And it's just a very awkward, kind of comedic take on um, coming out and coming out to your friends and your parents and learning to relate to each other and learning more about yourself. And so, um, how did you find out about ClamCon? Um, the, the people who run it, Geeks Out, um, yeah. they asked us to sit with them a couple years ago at um, New York City Comic Con. And um, we were in Massachusetts at the time and um, got to meet them and they're amazing people, super, super friendly. And um, when we heard that they were kickstarting a convention, we signed up on their Kickstarter. Awesome. And so how has FlameCon uh, 2015 been for you? Excellent. It's been so, so much fun. Um, it's a little warm, uh, but the more fun I have, I feel like the more warm I get. So, but it's, it's been very exciting for fun. And uh, if you could share one thing with our listeners, what would it be? Share um, <laughs> uh, an experience from the convention or whatever. Um, I have those. I have the end of the day, so I'm kind of, I'm running on empty a little bit, but um, I guess just the chance that a lot of people are here that I haven't seen in a really long time, and just a chance to catch up. Um, I met Tap from Chaos Comics today, and it was a lot of fun. Um, he's from England, and uh, this is his first convention in the United States, and it was really cool to be able to meet him during it, I guess. Um, yeah, it's just been, it's been really fun. Well, cool. Thank you. Okay, I'm at FlameCon 2015 with Sophie LaBelle, and can you tell us a little about your comic? Yeah, well, uh, the comic I do is about uh, Stephie, who's a transgender girl, and uh, she's 11 years old, and she faces different kind of things that, and uh, she, um, so uh, that, that's mainly uh, what, what it's about. So, how did you find out about FlameCon? Um, from uh, the comics, the Queers and Comics conference uh, last month, where uh, there was people that were coming here, and I got invited, so I just joined in. And so, how has your FlameCon 2015 experience been? It was awesome. I can't wait for next year. The crowd is great, and the ambience is awesome. Yeah, really love it. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, I'm at FlameCon 2015. And I'm here with Molly Ostertag. Molly Ostertag. Okay. And you are the co-creator of, of Strong Female Protagonist. Can you tell us a little bit about your comic? Sure, yeah. So it's it's written by Brennan Lee Mulligan, and I'm the artist, Molly Ostertag. It's a webcomic that updates twice weekly, and it's about a super strong superhero who, uh, after defeating all the villains, um, realizes that she's not doing a lot to help the big problems in the world, um, like poverty, world hunger, you know, the other ones. Um, and so she retires and goes to college. So it's part slice of life, part superhero hijinks, and a lot of social justice and philosophy, and just a lot of thinking. So how did you find out about FlameCon? Um, I was invited to table by the exhibitor, or by the organizers, which I'm really grateful for. I'm really enjoying it so far, and um, I like FlameCon because it was a kickstarted convention. Um, people really, it seems like a lot of individuals really put their support behind it happening. Um, and I ran a Kickstarter to print my book, to print a graphic novel, and so I'm a big fan of uh, people just putting their money where their beliefs are and uh, making it happen. 
do you have anything you want to share with our listeners about either your comic or FlameCon or anything like that? Um, you know, it's great, and if it happens next year, you should definitely come. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>